Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. Are we yep. good? There we are. We're back. Min is the voice of life this week. I'm sure you're going to tell us a bit about you. Praise God for you. Let's, um, let's be open to what Nina has today. It's going to be great. Thank you, Nina. Oh, thanks, Nathan. Welcome, everybody, everybody online watching. It is a huge privilege to be here today. Guest speaker, which is funny because I've been at LifeGate Church for more than 20 years. And a couple of weeks ago, Facebook told me that I've been at the Presence Campus for five years because that's how I remember all my things. Um, yep, yeah, so I'm Nia. I have a husband called David. We run the creative ministry over at Preston's. We have four kids, 12, 11, 8, and 6. <laughs> They're clapping for me over there. Thanks, guys, for coming today. <laughs> During the week, I am a sales manager for a company, and I run my own coaching business. And today I have something to share with you and I'm really excited and I hope that this challenges you just as it challenged me as I prepared this message, which is titled, What Do You See? Who remembers these? This is a, an early 90s um, treasure. I couldn't find a very clear picture of this because nobody had a good camera or an iPhone to take a photo, so this is all I could get off the internet. And on um, that side, the little medallion, that says New York Times bestseller. I'm like, there are no words here. It's just images. But it made the New York Times bestseller list. Um, and that was early 90s. There was lots of them. I remember reading them. I remember getting them out from the library because it was just so fascinating to stare at an image and something popping out, something hidden popping out, and a different way to look at the world. I wanted to share some more different kind of optical illusions with you. Okay, hands up in the room if you see an old woman first. If you're online, just pop it in, in the chat box. We'd love to hear from you. Old woman, if you see the young lady first. What about both? Yeah. So I always see the young lady first because of the feather in the hair. And then I travel down to the, the choker necklace and then it's an old lady. And then I, then I can't unsee anything, and I've seen both. Then we've got this one. One person sees a nine, one person sees a six. Both are valid perspectives. It's about whether you can actually see the other person's perspective. And this is a continual, continual thing we're teaching our children at home, that other people's perspectives are valid. And then I found this really interesting one. I stared at this for quite some time, and if you sort of put your hand up and block out all the, the white on the side, he's looking at you. But if you block out the grey on the other side near the ear, he's looking to the right. I found this one really fascinating. Yeah, can you do that? But the eye, the eye is interesting because it's, that's why I stared at it so long. It's, it, it's a weird picture, this one. Perspective in Latin means to look through or to perceive something. And that's what I want to talk about today. So I started wearing glasses when I was really young. This is me, super cute. <clears throat> I remember these glasses. Um, they had purple, purple on the sides and like a pink, purple, silver confetti thing in the, in the frames. And, you know, that was the 80s and the 90s. So that, that was totally okay. Um, I started wearing them from a young age and now one of my sons 
Jawa, he's 11, he also wears glasses because genetics. So <laughs> he's here. <laughs> you may not uh, wear glasses like me, but you may have been to the optometrist either as a child or more recently if age has started to betray you. And you may have gotten to wear one of these cool contraptions which I thought would have a really cool name. It does not. It's called the optometry lens frame. And this one checks, the optometrist comes and puts these um, lenses or filters in to, to make what's in front of you clear. That's not Jawa. Jawa doesn't have a beard yet, but we were there because of Jawa because he needed new glasses. And I love a good analogy. I think analogies help us um, explain things and clarify things that we, uh, that we can learn. So as I was watching Jawa get his lenses and his filters put into this optometry lens frame, it was like, it was us. We are this person, and these filters and these lenses are the experiences of our life. We look through the filters and lenses of our past. Yes. The things that impact us, that determine our values and our beliefs, our exper any experiences, good, bad, the way that we were raised, the way that we viewed our parents, our siblings, what sort of time we had in, in primary school, high school. These are all lenses and filters that we look through at the world today and also at ourselves. So my question today is, what do you see when you look at yourself? <clears throat> now, I had a pretty regular upbringing, if you count migrating from a foreign country into a country you didn't know the language, and then having an amazing 90s fashion sense and a terrible haircut, regular, that will have been my upbringing. So um, I did... I moved from Germany when I was 11 to Australia and I have this vivid image of me in year six going to school. I didn't have a uniform yet and I was wearing these amazing lime green pants. They ballooned out and then, yeah, I, hear, I hear you, um, and I had a, like a shirt that had just multicoloured birds on it. Come on, exactly. And everyone else is wearing a school uniform and here I am and I can't speak the language. So that's definitely, you know, an experience that has impacted the way that I view the world and the way that I view myself today. My lens said, not good enough. For a long time, that is how I viewed the world and myself. I held that view about myself and it impacted my entire world, my entire life, and it would. If that's the way that you look at yourself, it would. You'd either You'd be shy, maybe, because you didn't think you were important. Maybe you'd overcompensate in your personality department. Maybe you don't stand up for yourself because you don't value yourself. Maybe you put up with comments from other people who should really be held accountable for what they're saying. I did not attempt things that I didn't think I could be really good at that I could succeed or perfect. I didn't want to try things I could potentially fail. Because failure meant I was a failure and that I was not good enough. And that view affected my entire life and affected me living in freedom. It held me bondage to this view. So this, 
Today, I want to look at a couple of stories in the New Testament where, and you will see these people hold a specific view about themselves, and then they encounter Jesus. So first up, I want to look at the story of the woman at the well, uh, and we're going to read together from John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, I love this passage, and this is only the very beginning of the story. But I want to set a little bit of background for us and dig a little deeper. So, Jesus was baptizing, but also his disciples were baptizing, and the Pharisees were getting frustrated. Now, Jesus knew the Pharisees were the driving force that were going to send him to the cross, and it was not time for that confrontation yet, so he decided to go back um, to Galilee. And there are two ways to get to Galilee. One was through the town of Samaria, and one was a long way around. And most Jews took the long way around, and we do read about that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Jews did not like the Samaritans, but Jesus... He had to go through Samaria. So some more history here for you, which is, I find, I find this history um, and cultural context really interesting, is that in the book of Daniel, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar had um, gone into Judea, into the kingdom of Judah, and exiled all the Israelites to Babylonia, including Daniel and his friends. But what I didn't know and what I learned was that he actually left a bunch of people behind. He left the, the lower end of society behind. Now, they were Israelites. They then ended up intermarrying with Gentiles, um, and that's how they ended up being seen as half-breeds by the Jews, by the Israelites, um, and they were hated. They were hated more than the Gentiles because they had still had um, followed the rituals and some of the commandments, but they also had their own superstitions and their own gods because of all those generations of being married to, you know, not to Gentiles, not Israelites. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because he knew there was someone he needed to talk to. He was tired from his journey, and so he sat down by the well. And this is where I want you to pay attention to the woman and the way that she views herself as she comes to the well. Now, this isn't explicitly written in the text, which is why I'm giving you this cultural and historical context so that you can put yourself in her shoes or her sandals um, and have empathy and try to just understand where she's coming from and the view that she might be holding about herself. So she comes to the well at noon, which is really unusual. Most of the time, the women would go to the well in the morning. It's the Middle East. It's really hot. So they would go in the morning and they would go as a group of friends. So here she is, she's come at the hottest part of the day at noon and she's on her own. Later on in this passage in verse 17, we also learn that she's been married four times and now she's living with her fifth partner. That wasn't acceptable in those times. 
So we can assume from her view that she feels alone. She's an outcast. She's unlovable. And that she's undeserving. But Jesus. Always, but Jesus. He speaks to her. He says, will you give me a drink? Now, one sentence, and he cuts straight through that view that she has held about herself. So it would be pretty normal in those times for a man to be walking, and if a woman comes across the other direction, he wouldn't move. He wouldn't get off the path for her. That was what was normal in those times. As a rabbi or teacher, which Jesus was, you wouldn't even be speaking to a woman in public. Not even your wife. I would not, I would not have survived this, guys. People would have stoned me 100% multiple times. So you can imagine how she views herself. Um, she was not only a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman, like the lowest of the low. So just by speaking to her, Jesus cuts through and he says, I'm with you right here. You are valued. You are loved. And you matter. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. The outcome of this encounter with Jesus, verse 39 tells us that many Samaritans came to believe that day because of the testimony of that woman. And that is why you had to go to Samaria. The second passage I want to look at this morning comes from Luke chapter 19, uh, also starting at verse 1. Feel free to follow me along. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. (laughs) So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. (laughs) Now Jesus was coming along that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Who, remem- who remembers that song from uh, Sunday school? I don't actually know the whole, I don't actually know the melody, but I just remember, I don't, I, I don't know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up a, sycamore, a fig tree to see what he wanted to see. There's more to the story. That is all I remember. But every time I read this passage, I remember the beginning of this song and not the melody. So he was a, uh, Zacchaeus was a hated man. He was a tax collector, which meant he was taking money from his fellow Jews and giving it to the Romans. But not only that, scripture tells us that he was wealthy. So he didn't just take the money, he actually took more than he had to, put some in his own pockets and passed the rest on. So that he's definitely a hated man. He would have been an outcast, he would not have had many friends. And verse 7 tells us that all the people who saw Jesus invite himself over for a meal began to mutter and say, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. He would have not been worthy of the visit from Jesus. That's how he would have felt. That's how he would have viewed himself. And you can, 
Once again, try to imagine. He was pretty short too. I don't know if he had... Maybe he had a short person complex. But I can imagine he's probably shorter than Nathan. If he couldn't see over the crowd. Maybe. <laughs> and that is why he climbed the tree. Now, <laughs> the important thing about climbing the tree... I'm just going to go to this slide. So he would have felt like an outcast. He would have been hated and he would have felt unworthy. The important thing about the fact of him climbing the tree, of course he couldn't see Jesus, so he was probably even jumping up and down, couldn't see him. He decided to climb the tree. And the important thing here is that, not that he climbed a tree, but that Jesus stopped. Because if you're in a crowd, like we've been to concerts, right? So you're in a crowd and you're trying to get in the doors and there are people everywhere... You're looking at the ground because you don't want to step on anybody's toes and you're watching your own personal space. You're not going to go look up at the sky to see the birds or the trees. But Jesus, of course Jesus did. Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus and he called him by his name and says, I must stay at your house today. Now, just once again, Jesus doesn't have to say a lot, does he? One sentence pierces through this view that others have held about Zacchaeus, but mainly that Zacchaeus has held about himself. He says, you matter. You are loved and you are worthy. Worthy of me coming to your house for a meal. And the outcome, verse 8 to 9, says repentance, restitution, above and beyond, and salvation came to his house. Amazing. So what do you see when you look at yourself? Mine was not good enough. But putting that aside for the view that Jesus holds of me, but Jesus, that's freedom. He actually says, Nina, you are enough. You matter. You're worth it. I died for you. You are loved and you are free. Does that mean I'm done? Does that mean those filters are gone? 100% Jesus can do that. 100%. But often he helps us. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is an ongoing thing. That is not a once done, ongoing. And I'm human, and those things still pop up for me, right? Of course, when I was preparing this message, it popped up for me. Like, who are you? Who are you to get up and and, and speak? But exchanging my view for that of Jesus has shown me that my passion and purpose is actually to help people do that, do that very thing. It's to discover some of those long-held views and to coach them to see themselves through the eyes of Jesus, and to find freedom. So what do you see when you look at yourself through your own view? Do any of these hit home? Do you see that you are unlovable, too old, forgotten, replaceable, unimportant, alone, too young, too old, a bad parent, broke, Do any of these sound like they could be popping up for you? And this is not an exhaustive list, guys. There are more. Yeah, heaps more. 
John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus died for you. He died for your eternal salvation. He also died for you to have freedom from the bondage of thoughts that are unhelpful and views that aren't giving you freedom. So what can you see when you look through the eyes with the view of Jesus? You will see that you are worth it, that you are protected, that you are wanted, that you are free, that you are enough, that you are loved and chosen and treasured and holy and so many more things. And if you ever doubt that, read your Bible because it's all in there. And some of these views that you have held about yourself may have been there for many, many years. I get it. Changing a thinking pattern can be really hard. And so I said at the beginning that I wanted to challenge you today because I was challenged and I wouldn't be myself if I didn't leave you with a little exercise today. So um, David is just going to come around and hand out these little cards for you and some pens Um, Take a couple of minutes, have a think if, you know, if God's speaking to you at all about any of those views that you may hold over yourself. If you are watching online, um, write it in your notes. Take a couple of minutes to think about that. You just completed step one. Fill out this card. Good job. Feel free to continue thinking about this as you go into your week. You might want to add some things um, later, but you've done the first step, fill out this card and hang it somewhere where you see it every day. Could be the toilet, you guys. Somewhere you see it every day. Step two, ask for God's help. Because why do it in your own strength? Ask God's help. Every morning, help me replace my view with your view. And step three, replace your view. So when it comes up, stop it. Your view, stop it. Take on the view of Jesus. Here is a quick psychology fact for you because I love psychology and I love how the brain functions and I love how we are created. Thoughts well-traveled are like highways in the brain. These are automatic thoughts, they're habits habitual thinking patterns, they go from one end to the other really, really fast. There's no roadblocks, there's no speed bumps, no roadworks. A, B, really, really quick. When you're trying to change your view that is a highway in your brain to the view of Jesus, you may be looking at a forest. You might be saying, I need to divert the traffic from the highway into the forest. There may be nothing there. But as you start And as you continue stopping that traffic, diverting it to the new view, the view of Jesus, this forest will become a little path, like a bushwalk path. And then it will become an unpaved road. And someone will put some concrete on it, and it will become paved, and it will go from a one lane to a two lane to a highway. And when this is a highway, this side is broken. Now, this takes 18 months in your strength. But we have Jesus. But Jesus. We have Jesus and he can super speed this process. 
Can you imagine living a life where every day the view that you hold of yourself is actually that view of Jesus? Can you imagine the freedom that could bring to your every day? And maybe you've never actually considered that there is a different view to your own. If you want to exchange your view for that of Jesus, I would love to pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody in the room. I thank you for everybody watching online that has just heard this message that you really want them to hear. Lord, we thank you that you died for us to give us eternal salvation, God, but you also died for us to have freedom in the way that we think and the way that we view ourselves. Lord, you love us. You, you think we are worth it. We are valued and cherished and treasured, God. And for anybody that really needs to hear that this morning, Lord, I pray that you speak to them. And we thank you that your view is so much more superior than our own. God, I just pray that you move. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to say goodbye to those online. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith.